0: This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Oline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org and there's a, a treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. The book of Genesis is where we're going to begin and um uh, As we dive in, I want to make a request of you to bring a Bible because we're going to try and use them a lot, and I want you to have the opportunity to write notes in there and uh, to uh, use them so that you are reading the sections that we're going to go about uh, as we move through the book of Genesis. I checked the Lutheran Study Bible, which I encourage you to buy. It's mostly good. The Lutheran Study Bible is on sale uh, from Amazon and CPH. And if you drive a truck like me, it's about half a gallon or half a tank of gas (laughs) can get you one of those to have for many, many, many years. And so uh, grab a Bible, buy a Bible, and we're going to try and use them as much as we can in this particular study. Now, I want to tell you kind of where we're going with the book of Genesis. We're gonna try and go through all of Genesis and even Exodus uh, up through the wandering in the wilderness, at least. That's the goal. Um, It might take a little while. We're gonna try and go faster than Pastor Poppy was going through Titus. But um, I can't guarantee how fast we'll go because we wanna make sure we cover things. Several years ago, I know Pastor Poppy covered the first 10 chapters of Genesis. So we're going to try and move through those 10 chapters a little bit quicker. Uh, That would be things like the creation and the flood all the way up through the Tower of Babel. We're going to try and get through those things a little bit quicker, Um, but uh, we're going to make sure we cover them solidly as well. One of the hard things with Genesis is getting bogged down in all the details of the creation. Um, And the focus of our Bible study won't be actually specifically on defending creation, but going through the rest of it. Because the book of Genesis is the foundation on which the rest of Scripture is founded. And um, what's all of Scripture about? Jesus. And so while the creation is very important... There's so much more in the book of Genesis that points forward to Jesus. The account of Genesis is kinda like the Jesus family tree. Uh, How did Jesus family come into existence? When was the promise of Jesus made? And what's the genealogy, if you will, of Jesus? And that's gonna be the primary focus. So we will talk a little bit about the creation, we will talk a little bit about the flood, but we mostly wanna talk about Jesus as we go through the book of Genesis, and so that's gonna be what we try to do. Um, Now, there's a couple things. I had another book up here and somebody must have borrowed it. Hopefully nobody thought it was a Pastor Poppy book to take home. Um, Those are in the coat room, by the way. I wanna draw your attention to a couple places to get some other resources. There is, Martin Luther has a great commentary on the book of Genesis. And so I encourage you to get that, especially volume one of Luther's works on Genesis chapters one through five. That section is just marvelous. The way he goes through the creation account uh, and talks about marriage and he talks about the flood, all of those things, that's great. You can buy it in this red cover from CPH, and it's very expensive. If you go home and Google it, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller has a uh, version that you can buy through a company called Lulu that is much cheaper, but it's the same words. It's just an older translation. So Martin Luther's Genesis commentary is excellent. We're also we're oh, doing <laughs> it on my mom's behalf. <laughs> this is this is the other one we're going to use. Um, and you're fine to borrow it. I wasn't trying to accuse you. <laughs> um, also, this is uh, the commentary on, uh, by the church fathers on Genesis. And this is uh, in our new memorial library. I say memorial library, not memorial of Pastor Poppy, but of those who gave the money for us to have it. Um, the entire ancient Christian commentary series is in there. And we're going to use a little bit of this Volume one, uh, that is on Genesis. We're also going to talk a little bit about the original accounts of this. And so we have um, the Septuagint version and we have the Hebrew version. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. And so these are also resources if you're good at Greek. And I know some of you are, and that's why I'm saying that. All right. We're going to start then. In the beginning, which is a good place to begin with Genesis. I want to start by saying, Genesis, traditionally, and as we believe, as Lutherans, is written by Moses. The first five books, 98% of them, are written by Moses. The last little tiny bit is written by Joshua, after Moses dies. The rest of it is written by Moses. Uh, and so when we're hearing this, we're seeing what God told Moses, mano imano, face to face, and that's what Moses is writing down. Now that's really helpful for us, uh, especially like as we read about the flood, some of the place names, we know where they are because we know Moses wrote it and we know the time that he wrote it. He wrote it after the Exodus, uh, but before his death. And that narrows down the writing of the book of Genesis to between the years 1446 and 14. 1446 and 1,406 B.C. Okay? So it's written in that time frame, uh, 1446 to 1406 B.C. And I think it's probably written towards... The end of that time period, closer to 1406. We're gonna see some of the things in the text itself indicate that to us, like place names and things like that. It's written by Moses, who was trained and educated before that time in Egypt, right? Because you remember, Moses was in the basket, Pharaoh's daughter found him, he was raised in the royal household. Of the um, 18th dynasty Egyptians. And he learned how to write within that. And Proto Hebrew, that he wrote Genesis in originally, uh, has a lot of similarities to that Egyptian. And so we see that it's written by Moses. That's the time frame. He's writing it as they are on their way to the Holy Land. Wandering in the wilderness. So who? Moses, what? Genesis, where? In the wilderness, when? Why? Because God told him to. We're going to see that. (laughs) All right, so there's kind of a foundation for the book of Genesis. Here's where I'm going to eat crow. We're going to try and move through Genesis faster than with Pastor Poppy moving through Titus. So today's goal is to make it through one verse. (laughs) we're going to start here with Genesis 1:1: "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And the reason this first verse is going to take a little bit of time is because there is a lot, a lot, a lot to cover with this one verse. And to cover it, I want to break it up into these four parts. The first part in the beginning. you see that's in red up on the screen. We're working to get that screen working again. We have an issue with it. Uh, so we have the red in the beginning, and then the green, God, that's the subject of this sentence, created, that's in blue, that's the verb, and then the direct object, the heavens and the earth, that's the thing that the verb is doing, okay? We're going to break it up that way to talk about it, Um, and we're going to try and get through verse one, or at least as much as we can this week. In the beginning is the first part. That's the time reference. That gives us the time frame. And we have to ask a question first. What is a beginning? A start. A start. Okay. What else? Anybody have any other? Nothing. Nothing before. Yeah, this is important, right? Uh, It's a start. A point at which something becomes itself or comes into existence, it begins, right? I know that's using the word to define the word. Thank you, Vicar. Saw you roll your eyes there. Before that, there's nothing. Okay, so it's the origin of something. And we kind of struggle to understand that a little bit in our time frame today because, for example, here at church, We have a beginning of our service. But before that, what do we have? We have a prelude. And before that, we have people come in and they turn on the lights. Someone else comes in and sets up communion. We have all these things that take place before the beginning of the church service. But that's not what happens with this. When we talk about this beginning, we mean it's the very start. And there is nothing that comes before it. Before that time, the world does not exist. And God brings it into existence. Now, I want to say something to clarify this. What does that tell us about God? Does God have a beginning? No. God always has been and always will be. Okay, so already when we talk about the beginning of this world, because God is the one who's bringing it about, He has no beginning and He has no end. And in that sense, He exists outside of our universe. He's not subject to its laws. Um, We'll talk, there's, of course, Jesus is going to throw a wrench in this, but I wanted to get this established to start. He's not subject to the laws of the creation. He creates them and is on the outside of them. Okay? And, and Vicker said, I should use this example for that. He said, we should talk about Congress, right? They make the laws, and oftentimes it appears they are outside the laws. All right, that's a joke. It's a joke. Don't be offended. Okay? This, the same thing is true in this sense. For God, He is outside the creation. He brings it into existence. And so the beginning that we speak of is the beginning of our universe, and God brings it into existence, and before that, there is nothing with our universe. So, um, does that make sense? First of off, is that what we learn in our world?: No. What does the world teach? Big Bang, right? And do you know what the Big Bang says and what it means and what it is? That 13.6 billion years ago, a bunch of nothing suddenly became everything. All on its own. Okay? And technically, they can't tell you if that's the beginning or not. If you you actually have a conversation with them, and that's where this whole idea of multiverse and things like that is, they can't even say that that's the beginning. And they don't know why. They just know that it is. We don't have that problem. God did it in the beginning. That's when all the universe sprung into existence by his doing. Okay. The what? Uh, the no. Uh, it was actually a hypothesis that, uh, that Luther and Clayton uh, talked about in a lecture, but it is essentially answering the question of creation, proved, like, question of, like the question of the chicken and a scenario, which came to this. And obviously the chicken came to because God created everything as a fully mature. Uh, yep. We're gonna we're gonna get into that part here in a little bit too. So, tell me more about it after, and then uh, we'll I'll we'll be able to speak more. Because no, I haven't heard of it, so I can't speak authoritatively on it. But I would say the chicken came first, also, since you asked. <laughs> okay. So that's what a beginning is. It's the point at which something comes into existence, when it springs, uh, when it was not before, and now it is. Now here's the hard question. When was the beginning? Okay, we already kind of talked a little bit about this. It's not an easy one to answer. The world tells us that 13.7 billion years ago, or 16 billion years ago, or actually that the universe is eternal, or have you seen what Elon Musk says lately? That it doesn't actually exist, that we're just part of a simulation in the computer of uh, another people, which then begs the question, well, where did they come from? (laughs) Right? Um, Science actually has not given us a clear answer on when the beginning was. And I submit to you that it cannot. And even they aren't able to answer it very clearly. Have you seen, uh, I don't know, Christmas a year and a half ago, they launched the um James Webb Space Telescope. How many of you guys are NASA nerds like me and watch that? Okay, they launched it, it's a giant telescope. It's like bigger than our wall back here in diameter. And it's floating out at Lagrange Point, number one. And uh, it can see further than any other man-made telescope. And they thought, by looking this far away, we'll be able to see the very first galaxies of our universe. And they were all excited about it. And then it started sending its first pictures back. What did they see? Everything is way too advanced for what it should be and it's making them question and rethink their big bang theory now we don't have to worry about that because we don't believe in it the big bang is not how the universe began it's not a good answer The answer that the Big Bang Theory gives us to the origin of the universe is opposed to God's word, as we're going to learn it in Genesis 1 through 10. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus himself speaks against the Big Bang. Okay, so we have a couple Bible passages here. Let's look at Matthew 19, verse 4. Matthew 19, verse 4. Uh, If you have a Bible, open there. If you don't, you can get one on your phone really easy as well. Matthew 19, 4. Okay. Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? What does Jesus teach us there? There's only two sexes. Well, there's only two sexes, male and female. And that's been that way since when? Yeah. The beginning, and at the beginning, how did those two sexes come about? You, well, God created them. So we already have Jesus saying that in the beginning God created and specifically in this instance talking about male and female. Now, why does this matter? Well, who is the one saying it? Jesus. And Who is Jesus? Yeah, the second person of the Trinity. He's God in our human flesh. And how do you know that? God's word. And what did He do that normal people are not able to do? Yeah, He rose from the dead. Do you know anybody else who has risen from the dead? Well, okay, Lazarus. (laughs) Yeah. And how did Lazarus rise from the dead? God? Yeah, God through Jesus. Okay? So, our TV here turned itself on. <laughs> God and Jesus are one. Second person of the Trinity is Jesus. And the fact that he rose from the dead indicates that that's true. And if he rose from the dead and is God, should we listen to what he says? You see my argument, how I'm, I'm leaning here? Because Jesus is God and he speaks about the creation that directly contradicts the Big Bang. This is important because there are some Christians who say, well, there must be theistic evolution. Have you heard anybody talk about that? That God made the world through the Big Bang, and through evolution and natural selection. Jesus outright rejects that with these words and these other passages as well that you can look up on your own. Okay? If theistic evolution is true, then Jesus is a liar, and thereby God is a liar. So we just reject it outright because of Christ. And, and if just the foundation for this is, it is an indisputable fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We could talk about that for a long time, but I, if you want to hear about that, we did talk about it on uh, equipping the saints when we were talking about Ephesians chapter two. So take a look at that. Okay. So we reject theistic evolution. We reject Darwin and his evolution, and we reject the Big Bang at the word of Christ, which, by the way, that word we read in Matthew 19 matches what Genesis 1-1 says. God created in the beginning. Okay? plural, <laughs> We. We're gonna get there. We're gonna talk about that. We don't wanna jump ahead quite yet. All right, any questions about that so far? We're gonna talk about that as well. We're not quite to that slide, okay? Any questions about why we reject evolution in all of its forms? I shouldn't say that. In the forms taught in school, right? Because we have no problem saying that um, if we breed big dogs with other big dogs, what are we going to get? Bigger dogs, right? Or if we breed um, a black dog with a black dog, you're going to get more black dogs and you can speciate animals in that way, but you never, no matter how many dogs you breed with, how many dogs are going to end up with a cat, which is good, right? I'm not a cat fan. Half the congregation is suddenly mad at Pastor Moline. You don't like cats. (laughs) I'm allergic. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's the thing: is that there is no proof for the Big Bang. They say things like the cosmic background microwave radiation proves the Big Bang. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Okay, and, and I, that's probably as much as I can say about it to keep us moving. Okay. So when was the Big Bang? Or <laughs> Big Bang? When was the beginning? When was the beginning? The only way we can figure it out is by looking at the ultimate source for that sort of knowledge, which is the Bible. Okay? So in the scriptures, there's clues. We can look at the events and we can add up the years of people's lives and we can work backwards to come up with a rough timeline. Okay? And I say a rough timeline because we can't get specific. Because it says things like Adam was 130 years old when he had his son. But it doesn't tell you if it was in January or December. And in fact, they didn't have January and December yet. And so, with the length of a year, with every generation, you have that much leeway on either side okay so we can get close but we will never know the exact year of creation we have a couple other problems as well okay and that's that we have more than one timeline okay and this is where i want to talk a little bit about the hebrew i was hold it backwards the hebrew and the greek The Masoretic text and the Septuagint text. They have two different timelines. Okay, The Hebrew text, which is what your English translation is based on, puts the creation at approximately 4200 B.C. And it puts the flood at about 25 to 2400 B.C. That's different than the Septuagint, which makes the earth even older. I'm doing that one backwards now. The Septuagint says creation was at about 5554 BC and that the flood was at approximately 3300 BC. And the Septuagint also matches what Josephus says about the timeline, okay? So there's a difference there. I tell you this not to make you question your faith or the reliability of Scripture, but just to be honest and upfront with you that there is a little bit of a debate about these two things. I will tell you my personal opinion, and it's just Pastor Moline's opinion. Vicar will go back to seminary and report me and um, we'll be in trouble then. I I take what the Septuagint says because the Septuagint is translated in 200-ish B.C. And that's the time frame that this is being recorded, 200 B.C. Our oldest copy of the Hebrew is from about 1,000 A.D. 1200 years later. And Josephus, written in 90 AD, matches what the Septuagint says. And Josephus is basing what he's writing in his work on scrolls given to him um, by the emperor Titus. Now, what do you know about Titus? He's the one who led the army that destroyed Jerusalem, like we read about this morning in the gospel lesson. And as the temple is burning, he sent some of his soldiers in, and they rescued as much as they could, riches-wise, and apparently some scrolls, which he then gave to Josephus. There's also a third testimony to the older date, from what's known as the Samaritan Pentateuch that matches these two as well. Okay? And the Samaritan Pentateuch puts the creation earlier also. Now that begs the question then, why does our Hebrew Bible say something different? Any guesses? (laughs) Okay. This is The Masoretic text is preserved by Jewish rabbis who record the scriptures after the destruction of Jerusalem and after the rise of Christianity. And after the rise of Christianity, what do the Jewish rabbis not want people to believe in? Jesus. Jesus. Okay? And as a part of that... To make it not fit the historical timeline that I think these put forward, they adjusted the numbers. And they adjusted all the numbers 100 years in all these generations, except for one generation. They made everybody 100 years younger when their child was born, except for one person, who they only made 50 years younger. And that's because that person was 75 years old when his son was born. And if you made him 100 years younger, how old was he when his son was born? Okay. (laughs) Do you see why that's a problem? So they lowered that one by 50. All of this to try and take the focus off what Genesis is really about, which is Jesus. Okay. Now, like I said, either way, It doesn't hurt our faith, okay? I'm just telling you this so that we know and you can see it. So I want to show you this picture here. This is the two time frames, okay? The one on the top is the Hebrew, and the one on the bottom is the Septuagint Greek. You see how there's a lot more time on the bottom than there is on the top. You'll see how there's a lot more death. Um, In the top, you see Shem lives all the way to the life of Abraham. And in fact, Eber is still alive. And Shelah and Arphaxad, they're all still alive during the life of Abraham. That's what the Hebrew says. On the bottom, the Greek Septuagint shows all those people have been dead. For hundreds of years. Which then makes sense why Genesis says when Abraham dies, he lived to be a good old age full of years. If all those 500 year old people were still alive when Abraham died, would he be considered old and full of years? So... That's why I think the bottom, the the Greek account is correct, okay? The Greek account is correct. And up until 1453, when the Turks destroyed the city of Constantinople, the Greek Septuagint was our Old Testament, okay? That's a very brief slide over that. I want to ask if there's any questions real quick. You can get translations of the Septuagint. I do not know of any specific Bibles. Do you know of any, Pastor Goodroad? Vicar Kirstein? Okay. All right. So... We're not going to dwell on that a whole lot, but there's a few things we'll talk about where it'll come up again. I wanted to bring it to your attention. So all that to say, when was the beginning? I think it was about 5554, give or take 100 years BC, which makes the earth today about 7,555 years old, give or take. A hundred years. Okay, Leonard. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem, right? What, the, Leonard's question was, what do the Dead Sea Scrolls say about this? And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have recorded for us scriptural accounts that would be written from the time of the Septuagint up until 70 A.D., And they have in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a beautiful copy of the book of Genesis. And chapter five and chapter 10, where the genealogies are recorded are all dust. (laughs) And so you can't look there and say which one it supports. In other places though, and we'll talk about some of them, for example, how long were the people of Israel in Egypt? Where those places are a little different, the Septuagint matches the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we can't say that authoritatively about these particular genealogies. Okay. It's the art, but how many they go about saying that these were written, you know, a thousand years ago? Based on what the the words said, they're trying to be some scientific radioactive. Yeah. The way that they tell about when something was written is based on the handwriting. The way that letters were written um, changed a little bit over time, it slowly changed. Kind of like. if you were to learn how to write in a little one one room schoolhouse in Nebraska in 1870, what would they teach you? Cursive, and you'd be writing it with what? Ink, an ink pen, and an inkwell. Right? Maybe you went to heritage school and did it yourself. And you would be teaching, you'd be learning how to write your letters a particular way in ink, in cursive, with that ink pen. Whereas in 1950, what are you using? Pencil. Are you still learning cursive? Is it the same as the cursive from 1870? Okay, and now, when I was a kid, they taught me to write with pencil, but I didn't learn cursive first. I learned what do you call the other one? Yeah, print. Thank you. <laughs> um I learned print. And then my cursive was never very good. And now today okay Rhett. How do they teach you to write? Do they, do they mostly typing, right? Okay. I've I've read Rhett's sermon notes. Okay. I know how they taught him to write. No, just I'm just picking on you. Is that okay? Okay. I'm teasing. Okay. Yeah. So the way it changes over time indicates when it was written particular letters. So in the beginning, the scriptures are written in all capital letters with no spaces. And then later on, they invented spaces. And then they invented lowercase letters. And as these new inventions come along, the handwriting changes, and you can tell when a a manuscript was written. Okay. All right. We're out of time. We'll pick up here next week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.